Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made another day, and we thank you that we can be glad and rejoice in it. And we thank you that the, one of the ways that we can rejoice in it is by being with brothers and sisters in Christ and calling on your name, speaking to you in prayer, and also hearing your voice. Oh, Lord, we pray that we may have joy in our hearts as we listen to our Father's voice this morning. Lord, we pray that you would be with me, speak through me, help the people here to understand your word all the more fully as a result of the words that come out of my mouth. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews, and last time we looked at the way that Christ has opened a way for us to go into the most holy place, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for our sins. And now the author of Hebrews wants to make some applications to our lives as a result of this teaching that he has made in previous chapters. He's been going on for quite a few chapters, basically since chapter 7, speaking about the work of Jesus Christ as a great high priest and the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And so in verse 19, he wants to wrap up what this teaching is about Christ and his death and then give us three exhortations as to what we should do in light of what has come previously. And you can see this if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, page 1191 of the Church Bibles. I encourage you to look with me now at verse 19 where he says, Therefore, meaning something has come previously, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us, and then he goes on to tell us what we should do. See what he's done in verses 19, 20, and 21? He summed up what has come previously, that we now have a way into the most holy place. And so therefore we need to do a number of things. And he has these exhortations and they all begin with let us. So we're not talking about lettuces today as in vegetables. We're talking about other lettuces uh, that are here in verses 22, 23 and 24. What are the three things that we should do in light of the fact that Jesus has opened a way into the most holy place? And the first one that we see is in verse 22. Let us do what? Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What's the first thing that we should do if Christ has opened a way for us to go into the holy place? We should do that. We should go to God. We should draw near, is what the author says. We should draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? Well, there's obvious ways that we draw near to God. Of course, you can draw near to him privately as you read his word, as you hear his voice, and as you speak to him in prayer. And we should do that. We should draw near to God in private worship. We should also draw near to God in family worship. It's a wonderful thing if you're in a Christian home with other Christians that you should be drawing near to God, that you should spend time in prayer and Bible reading with the other Christians in the home. And, of course, Sunday worship is another time that we draw near to God. This morning when you came to church, you didn't just draw near to Dremoyne. You didn't just draw near to some other people who are here. You're drawing near to God. 
as you come to him and speak to him in prayer and hear his voice. How else can we draw near to God? Well, this should also be, and this is not as obvious to people, generally speaking, they think when we draw near to God that there's a real sense that you're speaking to God and hearing from him. We also draw near to God constantly. We should, as Christians, have an abiding sense of God's presence. In, uh, he's a, has an abiding presence in us, that Christ dwells in us. And so there should be a continuous dependence upon the Lord through the day, that you should be continuously drawing near to him. You don't just have a quiet time in the morning and say, tick that box, I've drawn near to God today, and I can go away from God's presence for the rest of the day. No, there should be an ongoing sense of prayer and dependence upon the Lord through the day. And how do you do this? How do you come to him throughout the day? Well, there's two things that it says there that we should do. As we draw near to God, the way that we draw near to God is given to us in verse 22. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. We have two things that we should be doing as we draw near to God. We should be doing it with a sincere heart. The other word, way you could translate that word sincere is as a true heart. You don't draw near to God hypocritically where you just mouth some prayers and your mind is not engaged. No, it's with, with a sincere heart, a true heart that you come to God. And then also it should be done in full assurance. We should be bold. It says there, full assurance. We should be bold in the way that we come to God. Because if we have a sense of God's majesty and who he is, then there can be a weakness on our part that we feel a little scared of going into God's presence, particularly if we understand how sinful we are. But remember what the author has taught us previously that Christ has opened a way for us to go into God's presence. And so therefore we can go in with full assurance and with boldness. That's what he actually says to us in verse 22. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We're cleansed from our sins. We can draw near to God. We don't have to worry about his wrath and his anger towards us anymore because of our sins. Whereas we may want to stay away, as you can see that sometimes with children who know that daddy's very angry, and the anger passes and you say, okay, anger's over, discipline has been met, you want to give daddy a hug? No. Now, that may be because they're angry at me, but they may also be scared still that daddy's going to get upset at them again for what they've done. We don't have to worry about that with the Lord. We can draw near to him with a sincere heart and full assurance that he loves us. That's one thing that we need to do in light of the teachings about Christ. What's the second thing? What's the second lettuce that comes here in the text? Well, that's given to us in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The second thing we're meant to do is hold unswervingly to the hope that we have, that salvation that we expect from Christ, that we have confessed is our hope. The way the text actually reads is we're meant to hold unswervingly to our profession, our confession, our confession of hope in the Lord. And we're meant to hang on to that. We're not meant to waver. We're not meant to lean to the side. We're meant to keep it foremost in our mind and not get deviated 
from that hope that we have. Now, why would you need to hear such an exhortation? Well, because there's opposition to such a hope. There's three main ways that opposition to your hope in the Lord will come. comes from your own flesh, comes from the world, comes from Satan. There are opposing forces from outside and even inside you to make you swerve from the hope that you have. Fears will come upon you, doubts, troubles, temptations, sins, persecution, and all those things can make you swerve. The conditions that you're in are just ripe for you to swerve. But you're not to swerve like a car does on a wet road. The conditions are there, but the driver knows he's got to be careful and he's got to keep going without swerving if he wants to be safe. And that's what we need to do. We need to hold on to that hope that we have unswervingly. Why? Well, the text tells you. Verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. If we hold on to that hope, God is faithful and he will give you what you hope for, that salvation from the grave, that life everlasting. It is not as though you're holding on to something that will crumble one day. You're holding on to God who is faithful to the promises he has made. And so there is every reason to hold unswervingly to such a hope, to such a profession. That's lettuce number two. What's the third lettuce in this text? Well, that's given to us in verse 24. And that is that we should consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The first lettuce was really about our private devotion to the Lord in many ways, that we need to draw near to God. And then we had one that tells us that we're meant to be consistent in the way that we Hold on to the Lord. And the third lettuce is really about our social obligations. The way that we should behave around others. And so we are exhorted in verse 24 to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now it's interesting this word that's translated there, spur, in verse 24. It's actually a fairly violent word. Um, this word could be used, uh, could be translated in other ways as stimulate, provoke, irritate, incite. And it's actually used in other parts of the scriptures to describe an attack of a fever coming upon someone so that the person is actually attacked. And the sharp disagreement that takes place between Paul and Barnabas, which you may have read of in Acts, they actually have a bit of a fight about taking another uh, disciple with them. And it's the same Greek word that's used to describe that disagreement. It's really an irritation that you should be making towards others. And that's why the word spur is there. That you're, When you think of spurring a horse, it's not particularly nice for the horse to have the spurs dug into it. But that is what we're exhorted to do here. We're meant to spur others on toward love and good deeds. Now, how are you meant to go about that? Well, one way is by thinking about how you can spur others on to love and good deeds. And that's what the text is really saying. The exhortation is to, verse 24 says, let us consider 
The verb is consider, to think about something, to meditate. And so if you're going to spur others on, then you need to start thinking about how you're going to do it. To think about other people, to think about other Christians particularly, because that's what the one another is referring to, is other Christians. And so you need to, if you're going to spur other people on, you need to think about them. You need to even consider the Christians that are in your life. And one of the best ways to do that is to get out the prayer directory that we have at this church, go through it, and consider each person and think, how can I spur that person on to love and good deeds? How can I encourage that person to love God, to love other people, to do good deeds? It requires you to think. If Jesus Christ has opened a way for you to go into his holy presence, then you need to consider how you can spur others on to love and good deeds. What is another way that you can do this, that you can spur others on? Well, the text tells us in verse 25, it tells us to meet together, to join a church basically, and meet with other Christians. It says in verse 25, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now you may have thought, oh, there's a fourth and a fifth lettuce in verse 25, but they're actually uh, verbs that refer back to the lettuce in verse 24. So they're not separate ones. They're actually closely connected in the Greek to the one in verse 24. And the NIV's kind of separated them out a bit, uh, so it's a little confusing. But basically, the 25 lettuces are piggybacking on the 24 lettuce. Does that make sense? And so they're helping you, the ones in 25 are helping you to understand how you can do the lettuce in verse 24. And how are you to do the lettuce in verse 24, the one of spurring one another on? Well, it's by meeting with other Christians. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why is it important to meet with other Christians? Well, you can't spur a horse if you don't get on the horse, if you're nowhere near the horse, can you? A fever can't attack someone unless it comes near the person. Remember that word, provoke, spur? describes the way an illness comes on someone. An illness can't get you if it doesn't come anywhere near you. If the bug doesn't drop into your life, doesn't have any contact with you, you can't be affected by the bug. And so it is with us. If you are to have an impact upon other people, then you must be near them. You must meet with them. You must have contact with them. So what does that mean? It means that we should not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Some Christians seem to put themselves in quarantine, away from other Christians. They don't want to have contact with other Christians. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be in contact with other Christians so that you can spur them, so that you can irritate them, that you can attack them, so that they... Start to perform love and good deeds. Now, why would you bother? It sounds awful to irritate other Christians, to provoke them, to spur them. Well, what does the text say? Verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And here comes the reason why. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Why should we spur one another on? Why should we bother? Because judgment day is coming. 
Now, it's easy for us to start to forget about Judgment Day. It's been 2,000 years since this warning was given. Judgment Day, yes, it's not coming anytime soon. I'll just go on living my life and everything will be well. Well for me, well for those around me. But no, the scriptures tell us that Judgment Day will come like a thief in the night and we should be ready. And so what does that mean? We should be spurring one another on to love and good deeds because salvation is at stake. What is one of the good deeds of Christianity? Well, it's evangelism, telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ. And if Judgment Day is coming and those people do not hear, they're lost, they're doomed for destruction. So what are we to do? We're to meet together and we're to encourage each other and spur one another on to tell the gospel because salvation of people is at stake. Judgment Day is coming. We're seeing the day approaching. We need to get out there and tell people about Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. That is why we spur one another on and say to people, you need to share the gospel and help them and encourage them in sharing the gospel. But not just the salvation is at stake for those outside the church. We should remember that we should be encouraging and spurring one another on inside the church as we see the day approaching. How many people have been inside churches over the years and then walked away altogether? Was it because people weren't spurring? They weren't provoking? They weren't irritating someone at church who needed a bit of irritation? There are so many attacks from the evil one coming upon us. We need to be around one another, watching out for one another, encouraging each other, strengthening one another, because the day approaches. And we want to make sure that we are all there standing as Jesus returns, affirming him, confessing that he is our Lord. So here we see three things that we're supposed to do in light of what Jesus has done. We're meant to draw near to God. We're meant to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And we're meant to consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. How are you going in doing these three things? I love that many of you in this church do these three things very well, that you draw near to God that you hold unswervingly to that hope that you profess and you also spur one another on. But I think, if we're honest, we could all improve in all three areas. Why don't you consider at morning tea today sharing with someone how you struggle with one of these, the one that you struggle with the most. Maybe it's drawing near to God. Maybe it's holding unswervingly. You have doubts, you have fears in your life. Maybe it's spurring others on. You don't like to think about how you can help others to commit to doing love and good deeds. You don't like to meet with other Christians. You, don't like, you like to give up. You fall into that habit that is set off here. Share with someone at morning tea so that hopefully they can irritate you in the future about that. See, that's the thing. We're encouraged here to irritate one another 
But that also means that you have to be open to be irritated by others, to be spurred by others. You should welcome a good spurring, as horrible as that sounds. Why? Because the day approaches and you want to be strong in the faith. So why don't you open yourself up at morning tea to someone about which one you struggle with so that they can spur you on and be honest with them? I'd have to say the one that I particularly struggle with is the one about spurring others on. Why? Because to violently push someone about a particular issue damages my reputation potentially in their eyes. I struggle with the fear of man. I want people to like me. I want people to keep coming back to our church. And if I tell them something that might not be particularly nice for them to hear about how they could love someone a bit better or do a good deed a bit better, they may not think very well of me. They may even leave the church. I may even lose my job as a pastor. If I go around spurring enough people in the church, the members may revolt against me for keep on pushing them to love and good deeds. And so I often will bite my tongue when I probably should let my tongue speak. Which one do you struggle with? And are you open to other people irritating you about putting that lettuce into better practice? Or maybe you struggle with all three. Or you seriously struggle with one, like seriously struggle, that it is very difficult for you to draw near to God. It is very difficult for you to hold unswervingly on to that hope. And it is very difficult for you to spur others. What are you to do? Well, you can be a Christian and struggle in one of these areas. You can grow cold to these works that the Lord asks us to do. Why would that happen? Well, I think we grow cold to the teaching that came earlier in Hebrews about the work of Jesus Christ. See, if you understand what, Je- what has been taught earlier in Hebrews, particularly the chapters about Jesus Christ's work for us at the cross, the one who gave his life as a sacrifice that does pay for our sins then these three things should happen naturally. As you are overwhelmed with joy about what Christ has done for you, then of course you draw near to God. As you're overwhelmed with joy about what Christ has done for you, of course you hold unswervingly to the hope that you have. And as you're overwhelmed with joy about what Christ has done for you, of course you meet with other Christians who share that same belief and you want to encourage them to love the Lord and to do good deeds in his name. So if you've grown cold, if you are seriously struggling with one of these things, then you need to remind yourself of what Christ has done. Come back to the cross. If you come to the cross, then everything else continues to fall into place. Now it may be that you need to seriously examine the teachings of Christ if you struggle with these three things. Because could it be that you're actually not a Christian? If you don't draw near to God, could it be that you're not a Christian? That you have no time for God throughout your week? Could it be that you're not a Christian? And if you do not hold unswervingly to the hope, the Christian hope, could it be that you're not a Christian? And if you do not want to meet with other Christians and do not want to provoke, spur other Christians on to love and good deeds, could it be that you're not a Christian? 
It may be scary for you to hear that. Particularly if you thought of yourself as a Christian for a long time. But God says it's not me. He says that if you understand what has come previously in Hebrews about Jesus' atoning work, then these things will flow out of that. And so you can use these three things as a diagnostic tool to whether you're a Christian or not. You can look at whether you draw near to God. You can look at whether you hold unswervingly to that hope. And you can look at whether you meet with other Christians and love them and spur them on. And see whether you are actually a Christian. Because if you don't see these three things in your life, there's a good chance you're not just a Christian who's grown a bit cold to the things of God, but you never were actually a Christian. And that may be a scary proposition for you to face, particularly if you've been coming to church for a very long time. You haven't given up meeting together, but you don't draw near to God throughout the rest of the week. I think it's good and healthy for Christians every so often. It doesn't matter what role you play in the church, even the pastor himself. As I come through this week, I'm looking at these things and asking myself again, am I a Christian? Is Joel Radford a Christian? It's healthy for us to examine such things. Why? Because the day approaches. And if we, we may be unsettled, we may be very upset to consider whether we are a Christian or not and our pride may be affected but it would be far better to be humbled today that you've never actually been a Christian and embrace Christ for the first time no matter how many decades you may have thought you were a Christian embrace him for the first time and go into heaven when that day comes than to have a rude shock on judgment day that you weren't actually a Christian Hebrews is a book that explains the work of Christ so clearly for us. It may seem old hat to us as Christians about Christ's work at the cross, but it is important that we get it down pat, because if we do not, then salvation is at stake. So use these three things to encourage you, if you are a Christian, encourage you to do these three things. And if you want to do them all the more, then dwell upon Christ's work at the cross. But also it's good for us all to take some time maybe this afternoon to examine ourselves afresh and ask, am I actually a Christian? And use these three exhortations to diagnose whether you are. And if you find that you're lacking, seriously lacking in any of those three, then go back to just even Hebrews 10, the earlier part of it, and work through it and ask, Is Christ's sacrifice my sacrifice? Am I actually depending upon Christ? And if you find that he is not your sacrifice, come before him this afternoon. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. There's no shame in that. Let us come before our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from yourself. We thank you for the encouragement that we should draw near to you, that we should hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, and that we should consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. We pray for the Christians amongst us. We pray that we would exhibit these three things. And may we push ourselves to 
continue to do them all the more. Lord, we pray that we may do these three things because we know what Christ has done for us, that we have entered into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and we have a great priest over the house of God. So may we do these things as a result. But Lord, we pray that if anyone in this room is not doing these three things, may they examine themselves afresh. Not try harder at doing these three things, but Lord, look back to what Christ has done and examine whether Christ's sacrifice is theirs so that they are saved. And then start to exhibit these three things easily because they know the joy of having forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.